through 11, as we look at the persecuted church, the church of Smyrna, Revelation 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, or to death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our day. We thank you for those serving around the building. And Father, that we can bring this message, Lord, over the radio and over the internet. And we ask, Lord, humbly that our hearts would be drawn to you through these letters. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, again, if you're new here or have missed a couple of them, all of these are online for you, but let's go to the key to the book of Revelation so that we would have an understanding. Remember, I told you you're going to get tired of me saying and seeing this first slide, but this is the key to it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, write the things which you have seen. Chapter 1, the things which are, that's where we are right now. And when we're done with the seven letters, we will get into the prophetic word to come. That is chapters 4 through 22. Now, as we go our way through this, we also mentioned two huge items last week that takes us into the seven letters to the seven churches. And these are the, uh, well, uh, let's do that one first. Since Smyrna there is just above Ephesus, so you've got a bearing of where these seven churches are. Next week, Pergamos will be a little further up the coast. But last week, we looked at Ephesus, and today, Smyrna, notice it's close. It's on the, the, the coastline there. It's a harbor. We'll get into the detail of the historical aspect of Smyrna. But the four ways to apply these seven letters to the seven churches are first, number one, nope, there they are. They are real churches in 95 AD. So John, writing to these churches, these are real historical churches. This church of Smyrna, in this time, uh, the pastor of the church, his name is Polycarp. We're going to get to him a little bit later on today. So each one of these are real churches at that time. But they're also churches in church history over the last 2,000 years. This church is known as the... Uh, persecuted church. We'll get into that. They have a period of time roughly 95 to about 312. If you know your history, which most people sadly do not, we don't do that in the United States of America anymore. If you know your history, anybody know, you'll get a mint for this. Who came to power in 312 AD? Oh, I heard somewhere Constantine lives over here somewhere. Oh, good job. Constantine, and he will be important next week in the church of Pergamos. So this church is a real church in 95 AD. It is in real church history, 
but also it applies to churches today. As we see today is this persecuted church, we would agree that there are persecuted churches all across the world, are they not? In Iran and China and in Indonesia and Saudi, Saudi Arabia and in Canada, right? Are they not persecuted? And soon too we will be. As well as applying this, and this is the most important way to apply these letters to us personally. What is God speaking to us? Remember how we talked about last week with the church of Ephesus, that you can be multiple different churches through your lifetime. You might be right now a church that is a person that has left their first love. Not lost it, but left it. You might be... in a place around the world that you are persecuted. Next week, we're going to see the compromising church and then the church that has paganism come in and then the entitled church of Laodicea or Philadelphia, the one that has just a little strength. So really applying this to our life. Lord, what what would you have us to know as we go through this? Now, inside of the letter, there are the four C's that we talked about last week that will be in all of the letters, there will be a commendation. That means there is a congratulation or a praise or recognition of something that that church is doing. There will also be a condemnation, a criticism, something that that Christ is disproving, is disproval of. There is counsel, getting them in the right direction, and then a challenge always to overcome. And I'm just going to give you a second for those of you who are so diligent in writing notes right now. Thank you. I love to see that. Mark up your Bibles. A worn-out Bible is a good thing. A pristine Bible is one who doesn't open it. Amen. I feel like a worn-out believer. Why not my Bible? Right? So these are the ways that we will apply this through this interesting note today. There is no condemnation of the city and the church of Smyrna. So, and again, you guys can write those afterwards. We also have that is on your handout as well. So let's take a look at this. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. The church of Smyrna. Sorry, I'm just scrolling to different notes. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and of the last, and who was dead and came to life. It's interesting that the word Smyrna means myrrh. In fact, the, the town Smyrna is now the town of Izmir. It is the third largest city in Turkey. What I find interesting it is still an active city where the rest of those are not active cities. And this is the only of those seven letters or seven other cities that has an active Christian community, even though it was the most persecuted as we will see. So Smyrna means, its name came from myrrh, or you could translate it bitterness. Now, we know in the Bible, maybe you don't, but in the Bible, uh, myrrh was a spice, and it's a resin, and the only way to get the sweet-smelling aroma out of myrrh is to crush it to a pulp. So think about that. (laughs) Here's a church that Jesus just said, you're going to be pulverized 
But in the pulverizing, in the suffering, in the trials, it will be a sweet-smelling aroma unto you. In fact, when we get to the execution of Polycarp, those who stood around him when he was being uh, put to death said that they could smell a sweet-smelling aroma. How about that for awesome as a testimony? And that wasn't just one. It was multiple people that could have that, uh, that had that experience. So let's talk about this city. Again, Smyrna was about 30, uh, 35 miles north of Ephesus. It was a wealthy city, second only to Ephesus in the region. Unlike Ephesus that we learned last week that had a silt problem from the river and eventually blocked up its harbor, Smyrna did not have that problem. In fact, it, it, even today, and when we were in Turkey, we stayed in Izmir, and it is so beautiful right there on the coastline. And you can see even today that it, it is a bustling seaport, hence why it is uh, Turkey's third largest city. It was known as one of the finest cities in Asia Unger's note says it was called the glory of Asia because it was a planned development. It had beautiful temples and, again, an ideal harbor. It was interesting because it was the first city to build a temple to Caesar, or as we will learn today, Caesar worship. Now, it's interesting that Jesus, as we've gone through not only the first letter, but as we work through, he gives us a description of himself from chapter 1. And in the description of himself in the first line here in verse 8, it says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and who came to life. Here Christ presents himself as the first and the last who was dead and came to life. This description would be particularly comforting to the upcoming persecution of this little church. Now, it's kind of interesting too, maybe this is just me. We have nowhere in the Bible the name and the church Smyrna only here. When was it planted? Who planted it? Well, probably Paul because of the close proximity uh, to Ephesus, but this is the only place in the Bible we haven't mentioned. And yet, uh, it's kind of an important city, an important part of our Christian walk. Now listen, he is going to talk about suffering. He's going to talk about pain. All of the topics we don't like to hear. Like when Jesus says, you will receive persecution and trials and tribulations in this life. Okay. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So there is comfort in that. And we're going to talk about suffering today. We're going to talk about why God uses suffering in the life of his children. I, I don't know about you. I wish we could take a correspondence class on that, some kind of online class, not something in reality, but it is a reality. You see, regardless of race or nationality or gender or social status, age or religion, all people in all languages deal with suffering. Not just the believer, but everybody. We not, may not be able to relate to another's culture or music or food or even their humor, but we can all relate 
to this thing of pain and of suffering, of hardship, of headaches, and of grief. But for the Christian, the language of suffering has a unique and profound message. Often misunderstood by those inside of the church. And again, let me just say this. There are those inside of the church who say those, not in ours, that say, you know, suffering really is a lack of faith on your part. You just pray that away, brother. Uh, Job. Right? We've got all of these great examples in the Bible of righteous people. And listen, if you go through the Bible and look at those people, for the most part, you're going to see a section where they suffered. They had a trial. And why is it there? So that we could understand and we can get through COVID. Amen. Like, I didn't know what God was doing for the last 18 years until 2020. And then, okay. Listen, we can all identify with that. We can all identify with suffering and pain. Again, this isn't intended to make the claim that the persecution is a thing of beauty and that wicked people cause the suffering and it's, it's good, don't worry about it. God, but God has a purpose inside of that. <laughs> the benefits, <laughs> uh, listen, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the benefits of suffering, you ever thought about that? The, did he just say the benefits of suffering? Can I get an amen to everybody who knows the benefits of suffering? Thank you. There's like three of you who don't, and you will. You will. Guys, we're, we're either going into a trial, in the middle of a trial, or coming out of a trial, and then we do it again, and we do it again, and we're going to see why that is today. Guys, perhaps we will never know why some of the things happen to us on this side of eternity. But you may walk into heaven and some weirdo walks up to you and says, thank you. What's the thank you for? Well, I saw you in that doctor's office that day reading your Bible and excited in the cancer ward or whatever. And it changed my outlook and it changed my life. Or you just named the person that you came in contact, and they're in heaven because of you. Awesome, isn't it? God uses suffering, he uses pain, and he is going to use this little church to be an example for 2,000 years, and even today to China's suffering Christians, to Saudi Arabia's suffering Christians, to Iran's suffering Christians, and yes, to the pastor who is in jail in Canada. At the time of John's writing, the church of Smyrna had experienced persecution, poverty, and sorrow. And it would increase more and more. For the next 300 years, the church will be persecuted like it has never been persecuted before. Now, the interesting thing is, since the 1900s to today, more people have died for the name of Jesus than in the last 1900 years. That is only because of the increase of population, because we're at six trillion billion. What that'd be a lot of people, wouldn't it? <laughs> six billion people. Well, back then we barely had that. We uh, barely even had a million people. It wasn't until just re- a billion people. It wasn't just recently that we started to see this this huge number of population. So, in a 
in relation to population, we have had more that have suffered. But because of those who came before us, it encourages and it strengthens us. Amen. So, listen, the church of Smyrna, they were not experiencing hardship because of any wrong that they had done. It wasn't their fault. They simply were just followers of Jesus. And at the end of the day in our life, the trials that we go through, it's simply because you claim the name of Jesus. In spite of their poverty, in spite of their persecution, Jesus will go on to tell us that they are rich. Look at verse 9. I know your works. Tribulation. <laughs> Jesus knows everything that's going on. He knows your works. He knows your tribulation. He knows your poverty. He knows that there are those who are claiming to be Jews that are not. He knows where Satan is. He knows it all. And so the commendation to this church is one of faithfulness in the trial. Christ assures the believers at Smyrna that he knows their oppression of their enemies. He knows their affliction. But note with me that he says, I know your poverty. Verse 9, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Because of the intense hatred of the Christians, when a man took a stand for Jesus Christ, unlike today, he lost his job and his livelihood. So, at the writing of this, Domitian is emperor. It's 95 AD, and Domitian was the first to set up what we, we talked about last week was the worship of the emperor, that the emperor, that the Caesar was God. And they started to build temples all around the Roman Empire to Domitian. And there was a temple to Domitian here in Smyrna. And this is what he required every year, that you would go to the temple, you would take incense, you would put it upon the altar, and you would say, Caesar is Lord. You would walk out, you would get your certificate, and said, I'm a good Roman citizen, and now I could buy or sell. When you went to the market, you had to show proof that you were a good little citizen. You could not buy or sell without your little, I'm a good citizen, right, certificate. I know we don't know anything about that today, do we? They want to require things. They want, they want to require you to get on an airplane and do this or that. You got to be a good little citizen. Remember, you're killing grandma. I'm so tired of hearing that. Killing grandma. Listen, don't let me get off on that. Let me focus right here. I don't want to go COVID today. Please. No COVID. <laughs> Let's have a COVID-free Sunday. Thank you. So this is going on. Government is at the center of everything. Government is dictating to the Roman citizens in 95 AD what they can do and what they can't do. You think cancel culture is something new. No, they just, as we will see, they'll just kill you. I mean, that's nothing to be canceled by Facebook or Twitter. They just put them to death. If you're not a good little citizen, if you don't worship government, 
If you don't obey what we tell you, then we will take you out and you will no longer have a livelihood. So these Christians who once had money, who once had a lifestyle, who once had employment are now no longer employed. When it says poverty, it means means destitute. And when it means destitute, it means really, really, really poor. Oh, there's my water. Listen, this was not only true of the church of Smyrna, but it also continued over the 2nd and 3rd century. This continued for 300 years in the church. Someone has once said that the churches in the first three centuries were marked by material poverty and spiritual power, whereas the churches of our day are marked by material wealth and spiritual weakness. Sad to say, this seems to be true, doesn't it? Today, Christians are cursed with material things that are not conducive to their spiritual development. Christians living under economic impoverishment should praise God that during that time that he provides himself faithful and they let him bring the blessing into their life. Listen, I got a huge note, but I need to say this. We live in a very prosperous nation. We as Christians have it really, really, really good. We really have no problems right now. And I don't really care if they cancel us on Facebook. That's not our issue. At least we're doing what we're doing here. And we will never not do what we're doing here. Gathering together as God has commanded us. But guys, we really have it really good. We have in this nation something that are called first world problems. And the youth today, sadly, have a lot of self-made problems that many of their contemporaries around the world don't have. Now, older people, can you hold on for a minute and let me talk to the youths? Just for a minute. And I encourage you grandparents to take this message and put it into the hands of your grandkids. They need to hear this message Because this message is not being taught today. And it is this. (laughs) Technology can make things worse with young people. They can make things better. Not saying it can't. We all love that map program, an app that gets us to the destination of Panda Express very quickly. Today's message is brought to you by Panda Express. We love the things that our phones can do. We love that we can search it up and find the answer and even have our Bible on there. But technology can make things worse for young people. And the devil is so ready to destroy their lives through any means he can. Now, the devil has come to steal and to rob and to destroy. And he has used over the last 6,000 years different ways to accomplish this. I'm listening to a, uh, a book, and again, I travel back and forth to Arrowwood, so I have a lot of time, and I'm listening to a book, and uh, it's a biography on different men, and one of them is uh, Wilberforce, who uh, helped get rid of the slave trade, not only in England, but all around the world, eventually uh, helping the United States come to terms, and he was, 
he was around in the, the first part of the 1800s, and he did his job to get rid of the slave trade. But it wasn't just the slave trade. And, I, and I'm a history guy, and I didn't even know some of these things about his life. But during his time, right at the turn of the 1800s in England, 25% of the women were, were prostitutes in London. Drinking was such a problem in the nation. It wasn't a Christian nation that we we might have thought. There's a lot of great revivals that have come out of the British Isles, yeah? Not during Wilbur's time. And I just love that name, Wilbur, by the way. And his he was champion not only getting rid of slaves, uh, uh, slavery, but it, it, getting rid of child labor. And what I find fascinating was that in his time and in the church, this wasn't talked about, and it wasn't talked about anywhere. This idea that we should take care of other people inside of the church, the less fortunate, that was not taught in 1800 in England. Something that we take for granted today. We look at the less fortunate and we say, that's our responsibility to help them. That's not government's job. That's the church's job. God allows us to be in that position to help people. And here he is bringing it to light, and he was persecuted inside of the church to dare to say, let's get rid of not only the slave trade, but child working laws and helping the poor. You see, Eastern mysticism had flooded into England by that time. And Hinduism teaches a caste system and a karma system. And at that time in 1800 in, in England, they thought, well, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't help. The church thought that. Isn't that crazy? What does that have to do today? I'm not real sure, but I'm going to weave it in anyway. Listen, youth, let me get back to the youth. I was one of you long ago. I know it's shocking. And everyone in the room that is older was also a youth right? We were all young. We were all, we were all young and dumb. We've done foolish things. We've said foolish things. We've done things that we wish that we would not have done, and we wish that we had listened to said parental units before or elderly people before that were a lot smarter. Amen? Because our life today would be a lot different. So, because I was like them and been them and so to you, Youth tend to be followers and tend to want to be liked, do they not? You think about it at your high school long ago, huh? some of you, long ago. But what, if you can just briefly remember, you know, there were really only a handful of the people that were the leaders that did things, and everyone else wanted to be like the cool kids, why is that? Because human beings are natural followers. They're naturally sheeple, right? You'll get that on the way out. But I want you to know this. Jesus likes you and wants you to know that he not only likes you, but he loves you and he died for you. Not only that is I like you, I love you, and men and women in this room love you and like you, and you don't have to prove anything 
to anybody else. See, your worth is not based on what others think of you. Your worth is based on your character and your faithful, faithfulness to God, something that is not taught today. What if they walked into high school and it said, your character is the most important thing, not algebra, something you'll never really use? Wouldn't it be nice to get back to those days of character and of purity and of honesty, not entitlement? Now, because this, many youth learn destructive behaviors from today, the Internet and friends. In our day, it was just friends. And I might add friends that really are not friends because real friends don't make you do stupid stuff. But because of the internet and because of mobile devices and because of social medias, kids are doing things that they're learning from kids across the country or in a different nation. Life in other, in other countries for young people often revolves around surviving and making their next meal rather than what they watch on the latest TikTok video. And when I say first world problems, I really mean that. We've lost Wi-Fi. A kid in a third world doesn't care about that. He cares about the roof over his head, the dirt floor, the mosquitoes, the bugs, the snakes. Look, I don't even want to get into snakes in India. They're so big, they carry people off, let alone tigers and bears, oh my. Again, we're dealing with first world problems here. Remember, young and adults, the devil who is real wants you dead. And if not dead, damaged for the rest of your life, for not only you, but your spouse to come. So, don't let him. Resist the devil, and the Bible says he will flee for you. Stand up for Jesus, not social media. Stand up for Jesus and not a boyfriend or girlfriend whom you will never marry. Why go through that if you don't have to? Again, first world problems. Why have that pain? Without taking a poll of hands up, how many of you if you know now what you would have known in high school, you would not have gone down that path. I'll be the only one. Wouldn't it not nice to be pure on your wedding night? And all the baggage that comes with that. The devil, the devil wants to take and he wants to rob you of your purity and your dignity. And the writer says, John tells us, listen, there's tribulation, there's poverty. He says, I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Did you know that the devil has his own church? And sometimes it has a cross on it. That we're going to see through church history so the first church was the church of Ephesus. It was the apostolic church, right? 
That was the period from Jesus to about 100 A.D. Now, the devil tried to get into that church by bringing in false teaching and false doctrine. But because the, uh, uh, the church of Ephesus was so strong in, strong in, it was so strong in recognizing the false doctrine, the devil got kicked out. Isn't that great? So what did he do? Goes back, sits down, saying, all right, well, I can't get in with false doctrine. How about I start killing them? Surely that will diminish the church by persecution and by them losing their jobs, losing their families, being persecuted by so-called Jews. Remember, guys, the church was made up primarily of Jews in the beginning. We're reading that about Hebrews, these Judaizers coming in, trying to get people to mix law and grace together, and they can't go together. And Satan wants to set up shop, and he set up shop there in Smyrna. And later on with Polycarp, the Jews will put the wood onto the fire. The Jews will do that. Now, why are the Jews not persecuted at this time? Because the, the Romans at this time gave the Jewish nation a, um, a pass. They, they recognized Judaism as a legitimate religion, and they said, you don't need to go to the temple and say Caesar is Lord. So they got a pass. But these new Christians that come on the scene, they didn't get the pass. Remember, the church was called the way in the beginning. So we didn't get a pass in the beginning, so we had to go to the, the temple. And eventually, listen, do you see, anybody see the irony? In the beginning, it was the Jews who attacked the church. Now, here's what's sad. Later on, the church will attack the Jews. But it won't come till Pergamos and Thyatira when it gets pagan. That'll come later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ten. You thought, hey, there's four verses today. It's going to go really quickly. Nope. I think I have more to Actually, the next two weeks will be a lot because we're going through a huge chunk of history. We're going to see the Roman Catholic Church established. We're going to see the Reformation uh, established, the, the Church of Germany, Lutheranism, all of that. There's a lot to unpack in the next couple of weeks, but there's a lot to unpack here. Do not fear. That's what he says to them. He says, do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. <laughs> Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison and that you may be tested or refined in the fire and that you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I want to make mention of the 10 days before I get into this lengthy section here. What are the 10 days? Listen, we don't have any idea. There are so many, com I know that we say this every week, there's so many commentaries. Is it 10 uh, emperors? Is it 10 different times? In the Bible, there's a couple of references of 10, meaning a, a finite amount of time or a small amount of time, or for them is it will end. It's not forever. So whatever the persecution is, it's going to end, and we know it ends in 312 A.D. So the Jews... Again, in the Roman Empire, were legally excused from sacrificing to Caesar. Please note with me the exhortation and the promise here in this verse. 
they, the, the exhortation, uh, as we'll see, is to be overcomers, but the exhortation is to go through it. Listen, he says, be faithful unto death. That's the encouragement? You, yeah, that's the encouragement. And we're going to see examples of that today. I, 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 got, look, I got so many uh, amazing stories of believers that have gone before us. And before I forget, we have two resources out there. Number one, Jesus Freaks, which is a modern version of the Fox's Book of Martyr. We have both of them in stock. I highly encourage you to read that because that is what encourages you in your faith. You're going to hear some of the stories in the historical accounts of believers that have gone before us. So let's get back to verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Again, so let's get back to suffering, shall we? We were gone for about 10 minutes from it. So let's get back to it. The problem with human suffering is it's as old as humanity. Listen, the oldest book in the Bible next to Genesis 1 through 11 is Job. Job's whole book is about suffering. So it's not difficult to understand why the ungodly suffer, but in our case, it's about the godly who suffer. Well, we look at the ungodly and go, serves you right. You're going to be dumb, you're going to get that, right? If you see a guy going 110 and he's swerving in an hour and he passes you, and then finally you come down him a couple of miles and there's 5-0 with the blue light, you're like, serves you right. I never say that when he does that to me, though. <laughs> Not 110, calm down. Only 100. No. So the answer to the question is largely bound up in the idea of the sovereignty of God. God knows what this world is like. He uses suffering and he uses pain. So there are four ways in which the Bible tells us and helps us understand suffering. And so let me give you these four things. Suffering for a child of God may be, dis, be uh, a reason of discipline. Hebrews uh, 12, we're going to get to that, says that uh, a loving father disciplines his son or daughter. God often uses discipline to correct, like a church like Corinth. Man, were they messed up. And he brought in two heavy letters of discipline for them. So sometimes God uses suffering to discipline his children. And hopefully we learn not to do it again. Don't touch the hot stove. Okay. You only do it once, right? Hopefully you don't continue those mistakes. Number two, suffering may be a preventative measure such as Paul's thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Sometimes God allows where you are right now with a health problem to keep you humble. You're like, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> Listen, this life is but just a vapor. We're going to eternity soon. And what you've experienced here, you'll never remember. Isn't that great? No one will say COVID ever in heaven. And if they do, I'm going to punch them. I'll repent later. Oh, wait, I'm a new creation. Oh, I can't hit him at all. We'll put him in a different planet or something. Number three, the third reason for suffering is that we may learn obedience. Oh, we hate this one. Suffering teaches us 
what we could not learn otherwise. You know, the old adage is someone prayed for patience. Lord, give me patience. Well, he didn't give them patience. He gave them, a, he gave them children. <laughs> See the point? <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. Suffering, oh, again, suffering helps us understand obedience to God. And again, that's in Romans as well as Hebrews. Guys, Hebrews 5 says, even Christ learned obedience through what he had suffered, Hebrews 5, 8. Lastly, suffering also uh, allows us to bear the testimony for Christ. This was true for Paul when he said, I will show him how many things he must suffer for the sake of my name, Acts 9, when, when God knocked Uh, Saul, who became Paul, off his donkey, and he showed him all things that he would suffer, and yet Paul still said, okay, I'll do it. Again, on the topic of suffering, just remember, it's just for a moment. Let me read to you a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or admit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Isn't that huge? He says we must learn to regard people in less, less in the light of what they say and more than what they go through as a believer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous pastor in Germany, we're going to talk about him a little later today, who was one of the few men to stand up against Adolf Hitler and eventually was put into prison for his beliefs. By the way, uh, I'm learning a lot about him, and we've got his biography, and it's great, it's huge, it's awesome. But he came, again, he's German, came out of the Lutheranism, very stoic, very liturgical. He came to America once and went to a Harlem Baptist church. Now, it was one of the largest Baptist churches black baptist church in in the in the country at that time and he he spent a year here and he went there every single week and loved it he loved the excitement of not only them knowing their bible but praising the lord something that he had never seen before in germany so when he comes back to Germany, he, that's how you know he's the only, he, he had a real experience with Christ. It wasn't religion. He really knew what it was like to be a believer, and that's what gave him the strength to go through what he th- went through and to withstood Adolf Hitler. And again, I encourage you to read about these men and women uh, when we have them. And by the way, that quote is he wrote that from prison. Most of his stuff he wrote from prison. And again, um, I'd like to show you more now about some of the others that have suffered. And I will end with Polycarp, who was the pastor uh, in the day in which this was written. Polycarp, as we're going to see, was the the last type uh, to the apostles. So Polycarp was a disciple of John. So let me give you three examples today of suffering during this time and period. The first one comes from 250 A.D. They're not in any chronological order. His name was Probus. Probus was whipped until the blood flowed out, then laden with chains and thrown into prison. A few days later, he was brought out before the the commander 
and he was commanded to sacrifice to the heathen God, to pinch that incense, remember? Caesar is Lord. And he knew that he would be tortured and killed if he had refused. And so he said, courageously, I come better prepared than before, for what I have suffered has only strengthened me in my resolution. By the way, when I read some of these quotes, think about, do people talk like this today? He says, I've come better prepared than before, for what I have suffered has only strengthened me in my resolution. Employ your whole power upon me, and you shall find that neither the emperor nor the gods you serve, nor even the devil who is your father, oh, I love some of these quotes. That's why I picked them shall compel me to worship these idols. Probus was sent back to further be tortured, and eventually he was executed by the sword. C.S. Lewis says, You'll never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Next, A.D. 320, a legion of Roman soldiers. If you've been here at any length of time, you've heard me um, talk about this uh, Roman legion. It's one of the most powerful examples of believers in this period of time. In A.D. 320, the Roman governor stood, uh, uh, even though it's A.D. 320 and I told you that it was 312, it doesn't mean that different parts of the empire were still Um, yet coming together under Christian uh, umbrella. You have different groups, different provinces, and this is one of these provinces. And so a Roman governor stood before 40 Roman soldiers. They were called the Thundering Legion. And the commander said, I command you to make an offering to the Roman gods. Again, just the pinch of incense and say Caesar is Lord. Think about that. All they, these 40 guys needed to say was Caesar is Lord. That's it. <laughs> United States government's right in everything. Okay, here you go. Here's your good, good little citizen's certificate. Think about That's all they had to say. He commanded them to make an offering to the Roman gods. He said, if you will not, you will be stripped of your military status. And so the 40 soldiers all believed firmly in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they knew that they must not deny him or sacrifice to any Roman idols, no matter what the governor would do to them. And so the commander, uh, I'm sorry, one of the men, his name was Camidus, said, nothing is dearer or our greater honor to us than Christ our God. The governor then tried other tactics to get them to deny their face. First, he offered them money and imperial honors, and then he threatened them with torment and torture and the rack with fire. And I want to pause and say this, because this is important. I think a lot of people today would give up Jesus in a heartbeat. What a... if, If I don't reject... If I reject Jesus, I can keep my life and keep my post and keep everything. Yeah. But if I reject him, I have to go to that camp over there. I think there's a lot of people today that would reject Jesus. Look how many people are still not going to church. Did we not just read, do not fear? So the commander uh, replies, one of the soldiers, he says, 
You offer us money that remains behind in glory, that fades away. You seek to make us friends of the emperor, but alienate us from our true king. We desire one gift, and that gift is the crown of righteousness. We are anxious for one glory, and that glory is the heavenly kingdom. We love honors, and that is of heaven. You threaten fearful torments and call our godliness a crime. Hear that for a minute. 320. He says, you call our godliness a crime. Just wait, church. It's coming. Godliness will be a crime. He says, but you will not find us faint-hearted or attached to this life or easily stricken with terror. For the love of God, we are prepared to endure any kind of torture. Let that burn in today. Let that be on your heart so someday you may say the same thing. Now, what do you think is going to happen to the governor? You think he was pleased with that statement? No, it enraged him. Like Nebuchadnezzar, he was enraged, and now he wanted them to not only die, but die a slow death. And the Romans were very good at not only torture, but having people die a slow death. And so they were stripped naked, and they were herded into a, the middle of a frozen lake. And he set the soldiers to guard them and prevent any of them from coming to shore or to escape. The 40 encouraged each other as they were going to battle, and they said, how many of our companions in arms fell on the battlefront, showing themselves loyal to an earthly king? For it is possible for us to fail to sacrifice our lives and faithfulness to the true king. He said, let us not turn aside, O warriors. Let us not turn our back in flight from the devil. And so they spent the night courageously bearing their pain and rejoicing in the hope of soon being with the Lord. Just stop a minute and know if there's a frozen lake, it's probably cold somewhere. So there's 40 guys huddled together naked on a frozen lake all night long. To increase the torment of the Christians, baths of hot water were put on the outside of the lake. With with this, the governor hoped to weaken the firm resolve of the freezing men, and he told them, you may come to shore when you are ready to deny your faith. In the end, one of them did weaken. He came off the ice and he got into the warm bath. And one of the guards on the shore saw him desert. And he himself took the place of that traitor. Surprising everyone with the suddenness of his conversion, he threw off his clothes and he ran and he joined the naked ones on the the ice crying, I am a Christian. And they cried out, 40 Christians for Christ. And they all died. Lastly, the pastor of Smyrna, Polycarp himself. A.D. 155, as we will see, is when he died. <laughs> I found this, and I was cracking up. Uh, Poly, I can't wait to meet this guy. He better have a name tag so we can find him quickly because he's, listen to what he did one day. 
he ran into a known and popular Gnostic of the day. So he was in town and ran into a guy, right, that's a Gnostic that was uh, proclaiming a doctrine that was against what the Christians believed, a heretic. And so the guy said, do you know who I am, Polycarp? And he said, I do know who you are. You're the firstborn of Satan. This is a guy I want to meet. So in the morning when the soldiers came to get Polycarp, think about this for a minute. The soldiers came to his house, knocked on his door. The emperor wanted to show an example, and Polycarp was going to be the example. The soldiers came there. Polycarp made them breakfast. They sat down and they ate, and the soldiers afterwards said, if we had known who you were, we would have never come. And Polycarp said, I, I, I beg of you one thing. May I pray before I leave? And so they said, oh, yeah, you can pray. Two hours later, <laughs> never ask a pastor to do that. <laughs> they get up. Now, I want you to think about the soldiers who were going to take Polycarp to his death and heard this man pray for two hours and give them breakfast. I'll never forget David Gusick, who we have on our, our uh, radio station. He was talking, uh, uh, teaching a message one time, and he, he was talking about if someone were to break into his house. He said, you know, the Christian thing to do if someone breaks into your house is hit him with the frying pan, and then when he's sitting there tied up in the chair, make him a breakfast while the police are on their way. He said, that's Christianity. Guys, that has always stayed with me, and so is Polycarp. The image of him feeding the men who are going to kill him. They will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. Let me continue. So this kindly old bishop entered the arena under armed guard. The stands were filled with an angry mob and they shouted over and over. Suddenly a voice from heaven spoke to the bishop saying, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Despite the noise of the crowd, many of those who stood by also heard the heavenly voice. Once inside their arena, the soldiers quickly brought Polycarp before the Roman proconsul. Polycarp, a well-known bishop, was the last living link to the 12 apostles. Again, he had studied under John. And as soon as the crowds had learned that this famous bishop had been arrested, they cheered more. And so the proconsul tried to get Polycarp to deny Jesus. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Take the oath. Pinch the incense to Caesar, and I will release you. He said, curse Christ, and I will release you. The bishop, Polycarp, stood up and said, 86 years I have served the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has never wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The proconsul threatened, I have wild beasts ready, and I will throw you to them if you do not change your mind. He said, let them come, for my purpose is unchangeable, Polycarp. If wild beasts don't scare you, then I will burn you with fire, said the proconsul. He said, you threaten me with fire which will burn for an hour and then go out. 
but you are ignorant of the fire of the future judgment of God reserved for the everlasting torment of the ungodly. But why do you delay, he said, bring on the beast or the fire or whatever you choose. You shall not move me to deny Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. And when the proconsul saw Polycarp would not relent, he sent to Herod to proclaim three times in the middle of the stadium, Polycarp has professed himself to be a Christian. Listen, it was a crime to be a Christian. As soon as they heard these words, the multitude was furious and demanded that he burn, be burned alive. Immediately, dry wood, which was brought in by the Jewish leaders in that city, heaped up the center for a bonfire. You know, you've seen those images of that, how they would burn people alive. And when they were about to nail him to the stake, Polycarp said, leave me be, leave me as I am. He who gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me to remain still within the fire. And so they agreed to this, simply tying his hands. In his final prayer, he said, Oh, Father, I thank you that you have called me to this day and in this hour and counted me worthy to receive my place among the, the number of holy martyrs. Amen. And as he uttered amen, the officers lit the fire. The flames rose high above his body, but amazingly, he was not burned. Kind of like his previous boss, John. And those who watched said, he was in the midst of the fire, not as burning flesh, but as gold and silver refined in the furnace. And we smelled something as a sweet incense. A sweet spice, they said. And so since the fire did not hurt him, the executioner was ordered to, to stab him with the sword. And as soon as he did, so much blood flowed out that it put out the fire. Now that's just God's humor right there. And where did Polycarp go? Right in the presence of God. Do you hear the statements from these men? Some of you may know this. First, they came for the socialists, but I did not speak out, for I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist, but I did not speak out because, well, I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, but I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me, but there was no one to speak for me. Martin Nymover, who was a friend of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 10. Thank you again for letting me go a little long on these letters. You're saying a little long. Listen to, listen to the other red letters of Jesus. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Thanks a lot. Therefore, be wise as servants and harmless as doves. Be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. And you will be brought before the governors and the kings for my namesake as a testimony for them to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, 
Do not worry about what you shall speak, for it will be given to you in that very hour, just like Polycarp, just like the soldiers. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother and father, uh, his, his children, and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. This is not talking about end times prophecy. This isn't Matthew 24. This is going on today. <laughs> and you will be hated by all for my namesake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus goes on to say, do not fear what man could do, because they can kill the body, but they cannot kill what? The spirit, the soul. Lastly now, let's turn back. Revelation 2, verse 11, last verse. As he ends all the letters, he, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Guys, it costs to be a dedicated Christian. It costs you nothing to be a nominal Christian. It costs you nothing. You can skate by, you can go to a church that will never um, confront you in your sin, never challenge you in your walk. You can go there and just swim with the rest of the fishes. And the devil won't go after you because you are no threat to him. But it costs to be a dedicated Christian in some places more than others right now. As end time pressures increase, persecution will also increase and God's people will need to be ready. 1 Peter 4 verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which shall try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Don't you love Peter? It's like, why are you getting all upset? The world may call us poor Christians, but in God's sight, we are rich, and we thank our Lord for the faithfulness of the Smyrna believers. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this church and its believers. Thank you for Polycarp, for those 40 soldiers, for Jim Elliott, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and the list goes on and on, thousands upon thousands of faithful believers who died because they believe in Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. The fire is just for a moment. Eternity is eternity. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't focus on this earth that is passing. Again, Lord, I pray for the young today, the youth, young adults, and not let them get wrapped up Their worth, again, is not based upon how many likes or how many followers, but their commitment and their purity towards you. Thank you, Lord, that we live in this day and we live in this time to watch things happen before our very eyes. Do not fear. We thank you, Lord, for the words of encouragement. Do not fear, even through death. Do not fear. Thank you, Lord, that you will give us the words to say when we need to say them. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name.